0: First, from Romans 3 there is no difference between Jew and Gentile for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus and then our Lord himself in John 14 6 Jesus answered I am the way and the truth and the life no one comes to the father except through me and from Paul's letter to the early church at Corinth therefore if anyone is in Christ the new creation has come the old has gone the new is here Ephesians Paul writes for we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God prepared in advance for us to do. And then lastly, from Jesus' words in John 15, I am the true vine, and my Father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me, and I also remain in you as i also remain in you no branch can bear fruit by itself it must remain in the vine neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me i am the vine you are the branches if you remain in me and i in you you will bear much fruit apart from me you can do nothing god always blesses the reading of god's holy word come holy spirit lead us again i pray the words of my mouth the meditations of all of our hearts would be pure and acceptable in your sight O oh lord our rock and our redeemer come holy spirit come holy spirit come holy spirit amen well this is our third week in a series we're calling the eco essentials or the the ecosystem essentials these are core christian beliefs That are highlighted in our denomination's national website. If you go there under Essentials, and these come up. First, we did Holy Scripture, which was the idea that everybody has a source for what they believe, and the Holy Scripture is our source. And while ultimately we come to the Bible as an act of faith, there is good reason to trust it. Uh, Thousands of manuscripts, uh, a writing oriented culture behind Scripture. a trustworthy god a coherent story and the early church went out of its way to be really thoughtful about what they chose and didn't chose what they chose and didn't didn't choose so that was our source and then the second week was who is the god we believe in so we talked about our source and then who is the god the source reveals and that's trinity and incarnation and we talked about that last week and just highlight the idea that with trinity the believing the trinity we look at the data of scripture and how it's revealed although the word trinity is never in scripture trinity is the way that we make sense of the datum of scripture and what essentially the trinity means is that god's being is made up of relationships and yet there's a oneness and there's a there's a um, differentiation within god and then in the incarnation those relate that relationality of god comes out towards us it spills out towards us in jesus christ so holy scripture trinity incarnation and this week we get to the red hot core of it all theologian carl Barth once wrote tell me how it stands with your christology and i shall tell you who you are christology just means the person and work of jesus christ it's a Great word to know. Everyone say Christology. Yeah, it's one of those big fancy schmancy words. But I tell you, it's everything. It's everything. It is the red hot core. Because it's our understanding of Jesus. It's our Christology that tells us all we need to know about who we are. The situation we're in. And what God does about it. Karl Barth followed up with this. He said, at this point... our Christology everything becomes clear or unclear bright or dark for here we are standing at the center and however high and mysterious and difficult everything we want to know might seem to us yet we may also say that this is just where everything becomes quite simple quite straightforward quite childlike right here in this center in which as a professor of systematic theology I must call you to say look This is the point now, either knowledge or the greatest folly. Here I am in front of you, like a teacher in Sunday school facing his kiddies, who has something to say, which a mere four-year-old can really understand. The world was lost, but Christ was born. Rejoice, O Christendom. Beautiful. So what does the Bible's Christology, what does the way Christ's role is explained in the Bible, what does that tell us about ourselves? About God? And about what happens when we meet God in Christ? You'll find if you look at the Eco website. It's a huge emphasis on the person and work of Jesus Christ. And it is. He is the red hot core of who we, of who we are. So what does our Christology tell us? The biblical, What does the biblical understanding of Jesus tell us about ourselves? Well first of all. It tells us that we're in we are in pain. And he takes our pain. Isaiah 53 4 Surely He took our pain and bore our suffering. You know the old scripture, the old the old hymn, Were you there when they crucified my Lord? As one of my mentors said, Yeah, you were there. You were there, your sins were there on him. Yours, mine, everyone's, our pains were on him. The death each of us will die was on him. He takes our pain. I knew a guy in my former church in Pennsylvania. He was a legend in the area, Pappy Joe Ridinger. He ran a trucking company and he was a Korean war vet. He was one tough dude. Love you, Pappy Joe. Pay you tribute. He was in the hospital near the end of his life. He had had been, I believe he was wounded at least once in the Korean War, tough, tough guy. And he had a horrible instance of gout. And it was so painful that Pappy Joel told me he cried out. You know, it was so, I think in front of doctors and nurses. And then as he told me this from his hospital bed, he said, and Jesus took all that, all that pain, Jesus bore all of that from everybody. It's deep, Pappy Joe. Thank you. Jesus did. He took it all. So one of the things we learn from our biblical Christology back to Isaiah, the prophet who predicted, foretold of Jesus coming, that he bore our sins and our pain. We are a people in pain and he takes our pain. That's the first thing. Second, we are a people in debt, and he pays our debt. Theologian Shirley Guthrie writes, The scene is a slave market or a prison camp. There sit captives who have lost their freedom. But a man steps up and pays the price to purchase their freedom. We are all slaves or prisoners. Jesus is our redeemer. The ransom price is high. His life for ours. But he pays it gladly for our sake. Jesus said, For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. St. Paul says to the Corinthians, you were were bought with with a price. It's as if wickedness and death owned us, but not anymore. Is there a debt held over your head? No, he paid it all. Can we hold a debt over someone else's head? No, he paid it all. You are released. You can't pay it, but he did. We can release others. They can't pay it, but he did. So we learn from our Christology that we're in pain and we're in debt. He bears it, he pays it. And then at the most basic level, we learn we're sinners. We have jumped the tracks. John one twenty nine. the next day when John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, look, the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. You are not your sins. And we don't get to reduce people to their sins. When we hold grudges, when we stay mad, it's essentially saying that Jesus Death on the cross as our lamb who takes away the sins of the world wasn't enough. No, he is the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. We are sinners and he takes it on himself. Fourthly, we also learn from our Christology that we are in battle with evil and death. And what does he do? He comes and he vanquishes both. Jesus won a cosmic victory for us with sin and death, with darkness and Satan, Colossians 1. For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the son he loves. If you have a friend who loves Star Wars or Marvel or Game of Thrones or other tales of battle between good and evil, maybe C.S. Lewis or Tolkien, good and evil duking it out, waiting for a deliverer to come and save them. You know, here's a good angle on Jesus's work. If you notice here, each of these ideas about who we are and who Jesus is, could become an angle for you and me from which to share our faith. It's not as though we always have to tell everything at once to everybody who we meet about Jesus. In other words, if you're led, I mean, you may be led to do that. That could be a three hour conversation over coffee with somebody. But more often, there's an angle on who Jesus is that you start with. So, someone's in pain. You know, we know how to address that through Isaiah and Pappy Joe's comments. Someone's in debt or feels like they owe somebody, right? Um, Someone is aware of their past sins and skeletons in their closet. You know, we have a lamb who takes away those sins. Someone's aware of evil and darkness in their life and aware of the battle going on. We have this word from Colossians 1, divine rescue from the battle from the against the dominion of darkness. Then five, and this is where I want to drill down. Jesus' life also tells us that we are alienated from God and each other. We're alienated from God and each other and we're broken. We're separate. We're distanced. And his response is to unite with us and make us new. We're given a new status. We're declared not guilty and righteous. And we're, we're declared not guilty, but not just not it's not just that we're delivered from guilt, we're also declared righteous. And that's what's called our justification. And then we're given a new identity. We're made holy, recreated, renovated in Christ's likeness. That's our what's called our sanctification. St. Paul wrote to the early church at Rome that All are justified freely by his grace. You heard that up there. That's heiress passive. Happens to you. You don't justify yourself. You've got to be declared righteous. It's as if the judge came, as Nikki Gumbel says, the alpha leader from from England. He said, it's as if the judge comes down from the um, stand, you know, the bench, and tells the accused, I'm going to declare you innocent and I'm going to take your punishment for you. And I'm going to not only declare you innocent, and take your punishment for you. I'm going to give you all the privileges here of being an innocent person. Paul writes again to the early church, all are justified freely by his grace. And then he writes to the church at Corinth that they are sanctified in Jesus Christ. So we have this new status as being declared righteous righteous. And being given all the privileges of that. And then we have this new life of being sanctified and holy, all in the person of Jesus Christ. He tells the early church in Corinth, He is our sanctification. He is the place in which we're made holy. You see, it's a person, it's not a moral regimen. I mean, that has a place. But first and foremost, it's a personal relationship. It's knowing the judge who is also the Savior who covers you and says you're mine i declare you to be righteous and good trust my declaration in fact i'm going to come into your life and i'm going to renovate you and i'm going to be that sanctification that holiness in you now you may know um, that this is something in which Protestants and Catholics disagree. Normally, I'm the kind of guy I like to talk about where we agree with the Christians, you know, where we where we agree in the big picture. But there's a place to look at the fine print and look at where we disagree. And as the late theologian Donald Blesch wrote, in Catholic theology, defined by the Council of Trent in the 1500s justification was seen as a lifelong process in other words being declared righteous being made righteous with god was seen as a lifelong process in which we make progress toward christian perfection with the assistance of with the assistance of the church so it was a for for roman catholics and to some extent this is still the case although we're getting we're getting closer to agreement but this is still the case for roman catholics justification is a process in which you make progress in presbyterian theology and in Reformed theology in general justification is not a process justification is an event it's an event in which god declares us righteous because of the personal perfect sacrifice of jesus on the cross and his glorious resurrection from the grave now of course you can imagine these debates go deep right and they're worth looking into. And um, we got to respect our Catholic brothers and sisters. And, and our differences. Uh, and I have, I have a Catholic book I just bought. I try to read from them. And learn from them. And, and I've heard good things about this Catholic book. So I encourage you to do the same. But I would just say this. When you read Paul. And look at his language about justification. About what it means to be declared right with God. And being given all the privileges of being right with God. When Paul refers to that. He seems to be declaring a reality upon believers more than he's encouraging them to live up to a potential. Paul in his writings about justification seems to be declaring a reality, which is the reformed Protestant Presbyterian view, more than he seems to be calling people to a potential, which seems to be the ultimate working out of the Roman Catholic view. Now there's ways that Catholics get there theologically, and I understand that, and I respect that. But Paul seems to be saying, you are justified. This is who you are. Paul tells Christians in Rome, they are justified. Paul tells the Christians in Corinth, in fact, they are sanctified in Christ. It's strong language. It's declarative. It's definitive. It's not just saying you have a potential to be this. He's saying you are this. Now live it out. He's not telling them what they can be if they work really, really hard. He's telling them who they really are and encouraging them to live it out. And I think there's a subtle but powerful difference there. And we'll get to that in a second. Now we should note here that there are even subtle differences among Protestants. Some of our Methodists, I say some of our Methodists and Pentecostal brothers and sisters and some of our Baptists brothers and sisters, because there's some Baptists that are more reformed, which that's a whole complicated thing. But some of these folks would say the sinner is lifted by grace into a state in which they can choose God or reject God. In other words, God in his grace adds something to our nature that enables us to reach up that little extra bit. God gives us a boost, right? Well, Presbyterian Reformed theology says, "Ah, uh-uh, that doesn't that doesn't go far enough." Reformed theologian J. Todd Billings points out that this doesn't go all the way down like it needs to, right? In other words, our nature isn't just our nature doesn't just need to be boosted. Our nature needs to be made new. We don't just need help; we need a new nature. That's what Paul's saying when he says, if anyone is in Christ, she or he is a new creation. That's not just a boost. That's an entirely new nature. And what is Jesus saying in John 15? He's saying without him, we can do nothing. Nothing means nothing. Dr. Billings says, only by communion with God can we move toward communion with God. And the uh, the great theologian John Calvin said to communicate to us the blessings which which he received from the Father, he, Jesus, must become ours and dwell in us. So St. Paul will say, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. Well, this is subtle but powerful stuff. What can happen is pastors in my view at least and my mentors have said this to me too and i think they're right what can happen is pastors when we lose touch with this idea that really christ is our justification before god then we can make people afraid of where they really stand with god you know am i there where am i in the process where am i on the road am i okay or am i not okay right this is the danger of the catholic view you never really totally know where you stand Right? And I and I think Scripture and I think the Reformed tradition uh, has grasped something there that's true. We absolutely know where we're standing. You are justified. You belong to Jesus. You have been claimed by Him. Right. Then some of our Protestant friends who are who are less who are emphasizing a certain way of that whole thing about boosting, they put that extra reach on you, whether they mean to or not. Right. The idea is, do you have to? Are you reaching hard enough? Are you reaching hard enough? Well, you know what? There's some days you and I ain't, we ain't got it. We're just not going to have it. You know, we're, we're dead. We're kaput, as they say in the, in the German. My faith is not in my faith. My faith is in Christ's faithfulness. As someone once told me, there's a way that which even well-meaning Protestant evangelicals can throw people back on themselves. You know what I mean? Christ has done eighty percent. You got to do that next twenty, or that little that five. No, I don't believe that's what that is. What is going on in the New Testament? Theologian Michael Horton points out all of our righteousness, holiness, redemption, and blessing is found outside us in the person of Christ. And yet, as John Calvin points out, this alien righteousness belonging to someone outside us would mean nothing if it stayed outside us. So it comes inside us through, remember, he's the vine. So he's the vine, we're the branches. So that's where we get it. So we're united. You go, well, where's, where's my human agency? Where's my role? Your role, first and foremost, is to be connected with Jesus and let him go to work on you none of the righteousness is our own but christ is our own as horton says and jesus says he who remains in me will bear much fruit that's a promise so in the triune god's divine rescue of us in jesus christ we aren't just told who we can potentially be if we work hard enough we're told who we actually really truly are one of my mentors andrew purvis great Scottish theologian. You'll hear me reference him a bunch of times. Neat guy. I I went to a bunch of his classes, went to Scotland with him. He baptized Jack. I wish I could get him here. Anyway, he encouraged us to think of it this way. He said in medieval, he talked about how Like our justification, our sanctification, our being right with God, our being made holy. You could think of it as like a house that we enter, right? Think of this analogy. And in medieval Catholicism, you got in the house by piety, by taking part in the masses. That's the way you climbed up the house steps and you got the keys. Through your own personal piety and by taking part in the mass. For Methodists like John Wesley... And even the wonderful Baptist evangelist Billy Graham, right? They would beckon us, and I love Billy, God love you. But they would beckon us to get up out of our seat and pick up the keys to the house and walk in. For John Calvin and the Protestant Reformation, it would be more like, here are the keys, keep the house clean. We have stuff to do, we're not passive, but we're already in. So first and foremost, we cling to him We nurture our connection with Him. We step out in confidence with Him. Our Christology is the core of our faith and we cling to Jesus as our justification, as our sanctification, personally. Not a substance, not a moral list, a person who, yeah, He's got, He does have some things for us to do that's listed out in the Bible for sure, but it's first and foremost personal, a personal relationship. So what battles are you fighting? We are here to help you orient your life to the victory that is ours in Jesus, to his person, so that we can draw strength together from his victory. Who has hurt you? We're here to help you hear his cry and claim it as your own when he says, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. What is your status? What is your sit rep, as I say, in the military? What kind of grades are you getting lately? You know, whatever you say first, Don't forget Jesus because your status with him is the most meaningful. God's declaration that you are justified, made righteous, given all the privileges of righteousness. God's declaration that you are sanctified, made holy in Jesus. That's where you and I start every day. We are in him. Start in him every day. There's plenty to do to live up to that. But at the heart of Christian proclamation is remembering who you are and whose you are in Jesus Christ. The Reformed Presbyterian tradition is by no means perfect. Sometimes we get a little too heady. Sometimes we, we uh, get too systematic. And, and I'm not saying we're right about every single thing. We want to learn and have humility with our Catholics and Methodist friends. And um, they may be right about some things that we might be wrong, right? Uh, we have to be open to that. But I don't think so. I'll tell you, I think our tradition has grasped something really core here about the godness of God. That God is really the center. That you don't have to worry about where you stand ultimately. And you don't have to worry about making that extra 20 feet and just reaching up. Because God's going to remake you in himself. that, That you and I are not just given a boost. We're given a whole new being. The heart of Christian proclamation, I would say the heart of good reformed posturing Christian proclamation is first and foremost, not for me to tell you what you need to do, but to proclaim to you and all of us again and again and again, what God has done in Jesus Christ. That's the heart of our Christology. That's God's movement toward us in Jesus and all of its mystery and majesty. He is our justification. He is our sanctification. He made us righteous. He makes us holy. He bears our pain. He forgives our sins. He gives us a new start every day. That is where we live. May it be so. He is that extra 20 feet. (laughs) May it be so for you and for me.